and you're listening to the Abide Podcast. To find out more about Abide, go to AbideChurchFL.com and enjoy today's message. Bless you as you give. They're going to they're be going on by. Um, how many of you want to hear a quick testimony? Testimony? Yes. Diane, I want to call you up. I'm going to give a quick testimony. Last week when I was sharing, I shared a testimony of someone who, remember when we were sharing how someone's eyes got healed? I don't know if you're new or not, but in this church, we believe that God still heals. God still saves. God still restores. Like he's not, he, he, he is still on the throne. And so as I was sharing about, um, God had given me a vision of somebody that was, that was like, it was like cloudy. And I saw God removing the cloudiness. And I thought it was metaphorical. I thought it was like a, like God was removing like a perspective issue, right? And so I shared that. And there was only like, what, eight of us in the room that night. We were doing prayer with Rick Deaton. And I released the word, and she was crying. I remember you crying. I'm like, man, she must be getting that deliverance thing. <laughs> what I didn't know is God was literally healing her of her eyesight, her cataracts. So, so I wanted to share. I wanted to share really briefly, and then we're going we're gonna to get into the word. Um, I was believing that when the cross, I knew that everyone always believed in everything on the cross that he did. And that everyone never doubted that he died on that cross for us. But before that is what we need to believe as we strongly as we believe in that. Because if we believed in that, when he says you're healed, you would never doubt that. Because it all went before that. And so I believe in healing and I've been healed many times. I had cataracts. I will never I will never say I have because I don't take back what Jesus done for me. So I just wanted to encourage you when you hear that you're healed, never let the devil say you're not. Because once you're healed, you will get attacked. But you will deny it because the devil's a liar. Jesus didn't. Jesus didn't heal us for no reason. He didn't die there for no reason. So everything was done for all of us. And so I just wanted to show you, I was going to do this when it happened, but I'm not going to do, I, I held back because this, he wanted me to show you now. So I struggled with seeing I had cataracts super bad. So. Let's go. <laughs> Come on. <laughs> Let's go. Come on. Jesus is alive. And he's moving. He is moving. That's amazing. You know what's amazing about that moment is that moment happened and we weren't contending for healing. I know we have like a lot of contention, contending, but we weren't contending. We were simply just ministering to the Lord. And the Lord came because as we minister to him, he ministers to us. That's why sometimes we're like, what about the whole Levi? All we want to do is sit and worship. No, it's like when we make him the priority, he comes. He's attracted to those things. And so, wow, how do I, how do I follow that? You know, um, a couple of days ago, I woke up and we were in my house and I just woke up. This happens to me about twice a year where I wake up and I'm in this mode where I'm like, I got to clean. 
And so we went, we went through my whole, our whole house, which we don't have a humongous house, so we can clean the whole thing in a day. And we just went, we went through the whole house and we just, we just got rid of stuff. It was one of those days like everything goes in the garbage can. And it was so weird because I'm, I'm not typically that way, but I feel like it's kind of prophetic for kind of the season that we're in. Like the, the reality is as I was going through my house, there were a lot of good things that I got rid of. They weren't bad. They, it wasn't trash. They were things that served me for a, for a season. But in the season that I'm in now, they're no longer required. Like they, they don't fit into the season that I'm in now. So for that very purpose, I just had to unclutter. And like, I think that's what it looks like sometimes. You see, like faith looks like something. And sometimes it looks like I'm going to throw away these glasses. I'm not going back there. Like I'm standing on the promises of God and on his goodness. So last week, I declared a scripture to you guys. And I kind of want to open up with this. It's in John 10. John 10, 10, if you want to turn there. On Friday night, I was preaching to the youth, and I said, turn to, I can't even remember the scripture that I was using, and I was like, are you guys there? All of them go, I? I was like, what the heck is that? It scared me, it startled me. I was like, what did you say? It's a ghetto behind youth group, but it's great. I? I was like, wow. All right. John 10, 10. Last week, we talked about Jesus being our bridegroom. Do you remember this? We try to answer this question, what does Jesus want from me? What he wants from you is to be married to you. He wants to be in union. So we establish this as the basis, and this is where we're moving from. God wants to be married to you, and that may sound kind of abstract. What does that look like? But I need you to know this is the primary calling of his church. When when he says he's coming back, he's not coming back for a church, a denomination. He's coming back for his bride. That's why it says the spirit and the bride, at the very end, the spirit and the bride, that's you, say come. And so it's it's an identification of who we are and what God has called us to. But but what I want to kind of touch on today is, as you are married to him, I want you to know there are benefits to that marriage. Like when me and my wife got married, when we became married, everything that was mine became hers. Are you following me? And I want you to understand that saying yes to Jesus and being married to him is not so much about the things that you can't do as much about the things you are get to step into. Like there's this whole world of grace and of favor that you are invited into because of who you're married to. And so I know, I know a lot of times in the church, they want to paint a picture of all the things we can't do. You can't do this and you can't do that and you got to stop doing this. But I want to invite you into a journey and the reality and the truth that loving Jesus is amazing. It's beautiful, and there is a favor and a grace. His goodness, your Bible says this, your goodness and your mercy, they follow me all the days of my life. And so John 10, 10 says this, the thief does not come except to steal, to kill, and to destroy, but I, Jesus, I have come that you, you, you may have life and that they may have it more abundantly. I want to read the Passion. It should be in the back. The Passion says this, a thief has only one thing in mind. He wants to steal, to slaughter, and to destroy. But I have come to give you everything in abundance, more than you expect, life and fullness until you overflow. And I believe this is the reality that God wants us to live in, in a a life of overflow. I believe that when he met the woman at the well and he says, when you drink from me, you will never go thirsty again, he meant it. I believe that that being a true disciple of Jesus means living. It doesn't mean you never go through difficulties. Let's not get it twisted. It doesn't mean things don't get hard, but it means that that I never lose my inner peace. It means that there's something that sustains me that, that, that is more than me trying to sustain myself. How many of you have been there? Trying to sustain yourself, trying to carry yourself, trying to, to fix 
trying to, to maneuver. But when you live with Jesus and the Holy Spirit inside of you, it's easy to follow him. And make no mistake, Holy Spirit is not this abstract fog. Holy Spirit is a person that is meant to lead you to Jesus in every season and every place. So that's why with boldness, right? When we're, we're in the restaurant, I was talking to the youth about this on Friday. When we're in a restaurant and God gives us a word for that person, that lady, that gentleman, we can go with confidence because we're overflowing. Now, if you're living from a place of deficit, it's going to be hard because you have nothing to give. It becomes difficult because you're in maintenance mode. But when you're living in overflow, which is his promise, it's why he came. Then it's easy knowing Holy Spirit empowers me. And all I have to do is release Jesus to this person. It's, it's Jesus. Look at me. It's Jesus. It's Jesus. And there are times where, 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 where we're going through things. And I believe this is one of the things that I want to talk about. That as a follower of Jesus, there is a grace that is upon you. Whether you know it or not, there is a grace that is upon you. That Jesus is trying to use to move through you to, to, to win the world to him. Are you alive? Don't glaze over on me. And I believe that this very thing, this very grace, is the very thing the enemy is trying to steal from you. Let me give you an example. On Wednesday night, a couple of Wednesdays ago, we were, we were in here in the prayer room. And on Wednesday nights, we, are, we come in and we minister to God and we intercede. It's two hours of just prayer and intercession. It's beautiful. When we came in, I got a text message from Mexico. We used to be missionaries in Mexico, and we lived there for about a year. And one of the base leaders messaged me and said, hey, listen, we need you guys to pray. Um, there was some missionaries that had a little girl, and the little girl gave birth. And when she gave birth, the baby was stillborn. Pray. She's not breathing. Her name was Olivia. And so I got up on the stage, and we prayed. We prayed. For two hours, almost the whole time, we declared the, the team prophesied life. Uh, there was, here's what I want to say, there was faith in the room. It wasn't like we were coming to him not believing that he was not going to do it. There was faith in our hearts. And so we all left. And the next morning, I'm following up, and I'm like, I wrote Emily, and I said, what happened? And she wrote me back. She said, well, the baby never came back to life. And those moments, those moments for us as believers, or how many of you are believers? Yeah. Believers mean you believe. Yeah. For believers... That's, a, that's something that we have to wrestle with. Like, how do I maintain my heart of faith? How do I maintain my heart? How do I stand on truth when it seems like in this moment, what I expected for did not come to pass? And here's where I think we got be, to be careful, right? Because if we're not careful, moments like this have us create a theology or a belief system about God, about God that is untrue. So we have to make a decision, right? Just because things did not play out. Listen, all it did for me is it, it made me want to go deeper into the heart of God. Amen. It made me want to say, God, I know that that's not because based on the scripture, he came to give life. So it doesn't make it difficult for me to pray for a little girl who's dead. I can stand on knowing that it's not his will for that. But I have to keep my heart encouraged. Do you understand what I'm saying? This is important because if you don't learn how to navigate disappointment, and if you don't learn to remain in a place of expectancy, then that grace that God has given you, which is the supernatural to, the grace is this, it is the supernatural power to accomplish all he has spoken. When he speaks something to you through the word, or through a prophetic, or through his voice, there is a grace to accomplish that work. 
And every disappointment, every difficulty, every, everything that the enemy is throwing at you is to rob you of that grace. It's to stop you from stepping into that place. And so we have to learn as a body, right? One of the things God has given us is grace. It is favor. We have to learn how to steward it and protect it from the work of the enemy where he's trying to sow hopelessness, discouragement, faithlessness. All of these things is what he's trying to sow into your garden. I talked about this last week, how Bill Johnson was speaking a message and he talked about how the same seeds of faith will grow right next to the seed of, of doubt. So when the rain of God comes, it waters all the seed. If you allow doubt into your heart, unbelief, let me tell you something, unbelief is one of the most crippling things to your faith. That's why you see the disciples say, help my unbelief, because they wanted to believe, but there was a seed of doubt on the inside of their heart. And I want to say this, when you allow seeds of unbelief to grow in your garden, they will choke out the seeds of faith. They cannot grow together. And so on that Thursday, when they gave me that message, I had to make a decision in my heart. I'm not going to allow a narrative I don't understand to create an improper narrative about God. Yes. This is the problem. This is why we don't pray. I'm not going to stop praying for the sick because I don't see two people healed when there have been 50 that have been healed. I'm not going to stop believing for him to raise the dead. I'm going to stand on truth. And we live in a world that they've elevated facts above, above truth. We've, we've learned to, to, to believe God, and so we begin to make covenant with our words. And many of us, we're living under contracts that we have written through our words, and the enemy comes and he cosigns. I'm telling you, you don't need a demon. Many of us were prophesying death with our words. The enemy's like, that's easy. And I'm telling you, the more we begin to prophesy death with our words, the harder it is to live a life of expectancy. And expectancy is where we are meant to live. If you believe God is good and that he's taking you from glory to glory and strength to strength, then we live in a place of, of hope, of expectancy, of faith. And God's ways are not our ways. They're not our ways. So like when David's talking in Psalms 23 and he's talking about you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. That's not my way. If I had my way, Jesus would be holding a sword and devouring my enemies. You understand? We will. You prepare a table for me. No, I want them gone. I don't want that. I don't want you. This is your battle strategy. You want to eat a meal? But his ways are not our ways. And what he's teaching us is, the lesson there is, in the midst of adversity, I want you to learn to commune with me. In the midst of, of, of opposition, of pressure, of all of these things that the enemy throws, I want to sit down and I want you to learn to rest and trust that my cup will run over with blessing. <laughs> you see, you had to sit at the table before the overflow happened. That's what it says, Psalms 23. I'm going to read it to you so you believe me. You prepare a feast for me in the presence of my enemies. You honor me by anointing my head with oil and my cup overflows yeah. with blessing. Yes. The overflowing happened when he sat at the table. Maintaining this place of expectancy with God. 
and beginning to write down his promises and not allowing seeds of hopelessness to land in your heart is paramount. One of the hardest things you'll ever go through in relationship, if you've ever, ever been in a relationship, and this happens in every relationship, is allowing that person to go through the process of maturing into what it looks like to be a husband or a bride. There are certain things that each person brings into relationship that has to be matured and they have to go. For example, I grew up in a Hispanic household. In a Hispanic household, the man comes in and he sits at the table. And the wife comes and brings a plate. And he eats his food. Argh, eats his food. They all, all Hispanics. Argh. And then something crazy happens. They get out of the table and they walk to the couch and they just sit. And this was just what happened in my life. This is not an indictment on my wife at all. But when I got married, it's like she served her plate of food and she sat down. And I was like, it's my food. Like, my wife serves me all the time now, and it wasn't, but it wasn't even one of those things I knew that I expected, right? Like, I talked to my mom, I'm like, mom, it's kind of weird that you're the last one to eat. I really actually hate it. My mom eats by herself because she serves everybody else, and then she's eating by herself. I'm like, that's depressing. Everybody has feet and hands. Make your food, bro. Stop. But what I'm saying is that was one of those things that, that had to die, and in your relationship with Jesus, if you're going to be married to him, there are some things that are just not going to make the journey. I just, I just, it doesn't matter how long you've been doing it. The insecurity, the fear, the way you have viewed yourself, the things you have spoken over yourself, they cannot go there. And so part of this, this faith journey with God and remaining and keeping an expectant heart is allowing him to break off all of the hardness. Is allowing him to deliver us from all of the things we have believed about ourselves that are just not true. And expectancy, expectancy leads us to preparation. So we got married and then we got pregnant. How many of you know when we got pregnant, there was a preparation that had to happen? Like, if we didn't have room in our house, we had to get a bigger house. If we didn't have baby clothes, diapers, we had, there was a preparation that had to happen in order for us to properly steward what was coming. And a lot of times in the church, man, we talk about the favor and God birthing and God giving us things, but there's no preparation. It's like there's, there's, you're not making space in your life even for the things you're asking for. So it's like, God, God, I want you to bless me with finances, but I'll give when I'm blessed. God, I, I want to be, be a spiritual father, but, but I don't know how to speak life over anybody around me. There are so many areas where God is asking, God, use me to heal the sick. I never pray for the sick. You see what I'm saying? And in order for us to step into new areas with God, in order for us to, to remain, because here's what happens. God will begin to woo you in an area. He'll begin to call you towards an area. Let's just use healing, for example. He'll begin to speak to you and say, I want to use you to heal the sick. And every time you bypass the opportunity to pray for the sick, your heart gets a little bit harder. I'm telling you truth right now. Every time you bypass, I want to say to you this. It never stops getting nerve-wracking. Anytime you walk up to somebody that you're about to pray or give them a word of knowledge, your heart will always do this. Every single time. Every single time. And every time we choose to listen to that voice, what if nothing happens? What if they don't respond the way you think they... What, 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 if, what, if, what if they're angry? Every time you do that, your heart gets a little bit more turned off. 
And eventually we come to the conclusion, well, God just doesn't want to use me to heal the sick because there's healing evangelists. And we completely lose this place of expectancy. It's one of the most depressing things ever, I believe, is seeing people full of potential. If you're sitting in this room, you are full of potential. You are full of promise. God's promises over you are yes and amen. And the reason that we're not living in kingdom purpose is because we have become discouraged in the waiting. We have lost the ability to wait on God and trust him in every season. I want to read to you. Let's turn to Philippians 4. Are you good? Listen to me. The most dangerous, the most dangerous Christian is the Christian who knows who they are. The enemy is not afraid of a Christian who goes to church 52 times a year. The most, the most terrifying thing to an enemy, yeah. to the enemy, is a Christian who knows who they are and what they have. Yeah. Yeah. It's true. The reason we're starting a school in the fall called Fully Given is because we want to teach people this. Who is God and who are you in light of that? Yes. It's the two questions we need to answer. Because if you're truly married to God, if you're truly his other half, then what does that mean for you? What have you inherited as a part of that? And so Paul's writing in, in Philippians 4. He's writing this church, Church of Philippi, and he's encouraging them. And I want to read this to you. I'll start at verse 4, 4, 4, Philippians 4, 4. Be cheerful with joyous celebration in every season of life. This is the passion. Let joy overflow. Say overflow. overflow. Let joy overflow for you are united with the anointed one. Let gentleness be seen in every relationship for our Lord is near. Then he says this to them. He admonishes them. Do not be pulled in every different direction or worried about a thing. Be saturated in prayer throughout each day, offering your faith-filled request before God with overflowing gratitude. I want you to see this, that prayer and peace are tied together. I want you to see this because we've been taught prayers about petitioning. He says, bring your request to me. But in the place of prayer, which is relationship, how do we define prayer? Prayer is relationship with God. Yes. It's, an ongoing, it's, it's, a, it's an ongoing conversation. He releases to you and you release to him what he releases to you. And somehow he says amen and things happen. Yes. This is prayer. But he says to us, listen, don't be pulled in every direction. Stop worrying. Be saturated in prayer. Give him your requests before God with overflowing gratitude. Tell him every detail of your life. Watch what happens when you do. Then God's wonderful peace that transcends human understanding will make answers known to you through Jesus Christ. So keep your thoughts continually fixed on him, on all that is authentic and real and admirable and beautiful and respectful, pure and holy. And fasten your thoughts. What does that mean? To fasten your thoughts. Well, what happens when you get in a car and you fasten your seatbelt? It holds you in position. Right? It protects you. If you were to get in an accident, when something came your way, the fastening is what would be your protection. Fasten your thoughts on every glorious work of God, praising him always. Follow the example that we have imparted to you, and the God of peace will be with you in all things. Another translation says the peace of God will guard your heart. And I believe this is a pivotal scripture for us as we're talking about expectancy, it's like, listen, let go of worry. What has worry ever added to your life? I'm going to ask you, 
How, when has worry ever helped you fix something? Raise a hand. I want to hear it. But he's saying, listen, when you're in this place of worry and anxiousness and you don't know how to figure things out, bring it to God. Start with gratitude and thankfulness so you can have proper perspective and then peace will come. Peace will come. And the, the, what you need to know today is as you come to God, his peace and his power will guard your heart. This is truth. You see how we don't want to engage with this kind of word? We're like, no, I just want God to do it. He's given us keys. And, and, and as we're married to him, he's saying, this is what I want from you. When you go through difficulties, when you're in worry, when things get hard, come to me and offer them to me. Release them to me. We're like, well, that doesn't make me feel better. I get it. There have been times, if I'm being honest, when I, when I was navigating that situation, when my wife and I had two miscarriages, there are things in life that we go through that are hard. And we come to God and we say the words, but they still feel hard. But at that moment, we have to make a decision to stand in faith and have patience. Faith and patience. That he who began a good work is faithful to what? He will complete it. And if we don't learn to now, this is a journey. I'll, listen to me. If you're in this room, you're going to go through this journey. It's not going to be all cotton candy in Disney World. You're going to go through something that is going to be difficult. And then if you don't learn how to manage and, and stay grounded on the narrow road. It's a narrow road. On a narrow road, there's not a lot of room for additives. It's a narrow road. It's not legalism. It's narrow. I didn't make the geo. I didn't make the road. He made the road. And it's narrow. And sometimes people can't go there with you. Sometimes TV can't go there with you. Sometimes your 401k. It doesn't matter. There are things that God will ask you to give up on the journey. And it's not about understanding. It's about trusting. I'm trying to help you. I want to read Romans 4. This wasn't a part of it, but it is now. Romans 4 is talking about Abraham. And actually, I woke up this morning and I was reading this. This is talking about Abraham. You know, Abraham had a promise. God gave him a promise that he would be a father to many. But, but, but in, in Romans 4, it's kind of giving us context. Verse 19, and said, in spite of being nearly 100 years old, when the promise of having a son was made, his faith was so strong that it could not be undermined by the fact that he and Sarah were incapable of conceiving a child. Did you understand what that just said? In spite of the fact that he was old and he didn't have the ability to accomplish that which was promised, he remained in faith. He remained confident. He never stopped believing God's promise for he was made strong in his faith to father a child. And because he was mighty in faith and convinced that God had all the power needed to fulfill his promises, Abraham glorified God. Even though things didn't look like it was going to be able to come to pass, there's an expectancy, a confidence, an inner knowing that if God said it, it's going to happen. Yeah. That's for every situation. Why did we bring up Diana to testify? Because the same way God healed her of cataracts, he'll heal you of whatever you have. Yes. 
You're like, well, I've been praying for three years. Pray for four. Don't lose heart. Don't lose heart. This is the problem. We've lost heart. We've lost heart on the journey. And I'm, 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 I'm burning to run with the people who refuse to let God go. We refuse to let God go. We're just going to continue pushing and believing and trusting and pushing all of the misunderstandings aside and saying, God, I want to funnel everything through your goodness. He's good. He's good. When I don't understand it, I got to go back to God. I know you're good. I know you're good and you're for me. It's an inner knowing. It's an inner knowing. That God is leading us somewhere as a people and allowing my foundation not to be what's said or what is seen, but what is known. What is known? What do you know about him? Like, I don't know what I know. Then why don't you start replaying the history of your life? All the times he's provided. What did he save you from? What has he kept you from? This becomes food for us and it gives us faith. That when the winds come, they will not toss us. It's not hard. If winds come and they toss you, according to the Bible, you just don't have a firm foundation. And if your foundation is the church, if your foundation is friendships, if your foundation is somebody's sermon on YouTube, you will be tossed by the wind. It's got to be this thing where we've grinded it out. Me and my wife are more in love today than we've ever been. Why? Because we've gone through some crap together. And there's something about navigating good times and hard times that they knit hearts together. And many of us, when we go through difficulties, like it's easy for us to connect with God when everything's going great. But the moment difficulties come, we disconnect heart to heart. And so you're going around the same mountain because there's a lesson there. There's something God is wanting to teach you as you round the mountain. And so you're rounding the same. I don't even know if you get what I'm saying. You're like, God, deliver me. And God's like, the lesson's there. God, I want to know you more. He's like, oh, it's right there. I'm trying to teach you something about my nature. I'm trying to teach you to stop running. It's like this fight or flight. Stop running and embrace it and let his faithfulness encourage you. It's not abstract. It's real. It's real. It's a confident hope. And many of you, you think like, well, I know I have promise. I'm going to land here. Maybe. Oh, let me make sure this is where I want to land. Yeah, it's where I'll land. Are you good? I'm convinced of this. Every single one of us, God has a promised land designed for us. Every single one of you. Doesn't matter how hopeless you feel. I'm sure at times... As the Israelites were navigating 40 years in the desert, they felt hopeless. They're like, man, when are we ever going to make it? At times you saw they were saying, let's just go back to Egypt. It's like the very thing that they were once asking God to deliver them from, they're now asking God to take them back to. And every single one of us have these seasons. But you see a point in Numbers 14 where, they, where they're going up and God is saying to them to go into the promise. You can come up, Covey. They're saying to come up to, come up to the promised land. And, and God tells them, go scout out the land. I'm going to go there. This is actually 13, I'm sorry. The Lord now said to Moses, send out men to explore the land of Canaan. The land, I want you to see this. The land I am giving to the Israelites. 
So I want you to understand the land was given to them before they ever went into it. It was not, it was not for them to go assess whether the promise was available. Go scout. I believe it was a heart check. Go scout the land that I am giving to the Israelites. So they, so they go scout the land and then they come back after 40 days, right? And they're giving the report. And this is the report. The people, this is the report. This is what they saw. We entered the land you sent us to explore, and it is indeed bountiful, a land flowing with milk and honey. It is everything God said it would be. Here is the kind of fruit it produces, but the people living there are powerful, and their towns are large and fortified. We even saw giants there, the descendants of Anak, and the Amalekites, and all these people live in the hill country. The Canaanites live among the coasts. And as they were sharing all of the negativity, Caleb came. Caleb's like, shh. He's like, he's like, stop. And the Bible says he tried to quiet the people as they stood before Moses. And he says, let's go at once. That's what I'm trying to say to you. Let's go. Let's go. It's like, I know all of the things that are seen. I watch the news like once a year, but I know there's lots of crazy stuff going on. But shh, what has God said? What has God said? Let's go at once and take the land. He says this, we can certainly conquer it. That word can means being able. It's like a certainty. We, it's like Caleb is saying, we have everything we need to go now. There's no need to wait. We have everything we need to go now. So then they continue to have this dialogue, but the other men who had explored the land disagreed with him. We can't go up against them. They're stronger than we are. So they spread this bad report among the land. This is the cancer of the church. It's bad reports and unbelief. Rooted in doubt. They disagreed, so they spread this report. The land we traveled through and explored will devour anyone who goes to live there. You hear the voice of the accuser? Anyone who stands into this promise isn't going to make it. All the people saw we were huge. Even the giants were there. And next to them, we felt like grasshoppers. And that's what they thought too. And what you see is, I want you to see that there was no demonic influence. Many times as we're pursuing God's promises and we're remaining expectant, it's not going to be the opposition. It's going to be what's happening on the inside. It wasn't the giants that kept them out. It was the ten inside the camp. Sowing seeds of discouragement. Sowing seeds of disappointment. You can't go there. We can't do that. You can't believe that way. Revival, really? How many times have we heard? Will God really continue to heal? Can I really be delivered from anxiety? Will I really not always be depressed? Do you hear the voices? And once we begin to partner with that voice, the battle's already, the battle's already lost. And what I, what I woke up with this morning was this. This is, what, this is what I woke up with in my spirit. The Lord is strong in battle and he is mighty to save. Do you, understand? Do you hear me? The Lord is mighty in battle. He is mighty to save. He's not lacking. 
So I don't know what mountain you've been going around. I don't know what pit of discouragement you've been living in. But the Lord is strong in battle and he is mighty to save. Over your children, over your finances, over your mental health, over your sickness. He is strong in battle and mighty to save. And as a bride, this is your inheritance. When me and my wife are out and about, if anybody would come to attack her, I wouldn't expect her to defend herself. It's my job to defend her. And some of you, you're beat up and bruised fighting fights that are not meant for you to fight. It's always the husband's job to defend. Always. Don't get it twisted, my wife can throw hands. I love you guys. I want to pray this morning for breakthrough. I want to pray this morning for breakthrough. We have some people that are going to come up and they're going to pray. And what they're going to do is they're just going to partner with you in faith. Where two people agree, there's power there. So we're not, like, it's not complicated. What are you believing God for? What's your promised land? Where do you feel stuck? And we're going to partner with you and believe in faith that God's going to change situations. It can happen today. It can happen. You don't have to feel goosebumps. You don't have to like. It doesn't have to be that. But you can leave today like Abraham with an assurance in your heart. And I know that it doesn't look like it. And I know that it doesn't make sense, but I trust you. So let's stand up to our feet. for you really quickly. Matter of fact, Prophetic Company can come up. You guys can make your way up now. Any staff, Prophetic Company. I'm going to pray and I'm simply just going to pray that that any seeds of doubt or discouragement would be uprooted right now. And that you would have the boldness and the faith to partner in prayer. So Father, right now in Jesus' name, we pray faith into every heart. The faith that Caleb had in Numbers 13 that says, we can, we can, we can, we silence every voice right now of discouragement, every voice of disappointment, every accusation against your people. And Father, we declare and we stand on the truth that as your bride, you make us whole. As your bride, you lead us beside still pastures, still waters, green pastures, that you have goodness for every person here. And so, Father, today, we pray for breakthrough. Breakthrough for personal struggles, breakthrough for marriages, breakthrough for finances, breakthrough for ministries, that yokes of oppression would be broken, that faith would be imparted. We thank you, Holy Spirit.
here's what we're gonna do. We're gonna make room, and, I, and I'm, 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 pleading, I'm pleading with you. If you're here and you need a breakthrough in any area of your life, just come. This is why we're here. We're here to make room for God to partner with you and people and family to believe for more. And I know the enemy wants to keep you in your seat. What are people gonna think? Is it really gonna work this time? But I just ask you this, what if this is the time? That's how I wanna live my life. I don't wanna miss a moment. So as Covey leads, I just encourage you, we're just gonna wait on God and we're gonna give a few minutes.